Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am very excited for another episode this week. Got a couple more before the August break. Actually, because of the fact that that these things are so organic, these conversations I have, um, sometimes I have a question or two written down or some specific points that I want to make sure that we address or talk about. That usually involves, uh, you know, current projects. Um, sometimes things in the future or specific questions I have about things that, that my guests have done in the past. But with most of them, um, that's really all it is, is just like a couple of notes about, yeah, we got to remember to talk about this, this, and this, because sometimes the conversations just go where they go. And, uh, and I forget to bring up those points. So apart from that, I don't have a list of questions. I don't usually have much of an agenda. Most of the people are, are people that I know fairly well. And so uh, the the conversations tend to just become really uh, natural, organic conversations. And I had uh, I knew that there was a lot I wanted to talk to uh, my guest this week, Carla Curlin, about. But we just went into a whole rabbit hole of humanity, and uh, the podcast ended up being about two hours. So. Uh, I have uh, decided to break this into two episodes, which will then bleed into August, where I was going to take all of August off. So now I'll just extend that time off into the first week of September. And uh, hopefully uh, it will be something that you guys will enjoy the conversation. The first uh, episode, this one, we really talk about more of her artistic side. And then in the second part, we get get a little uh, in-depth into our our views on what's wrong with the world and what we need to do to make it better and how everyone can help. It's actually, it it was a really fun conversation and uh, I've known Carla for a number of years and uh, she's just one of those uh, little, little spots of sunshine in my life. And uh, we've seen each other through a lot of things and definitely one of the, uh, one of the people I know I can always count on. And I was very grateful to get some time to spend with her and uh, very grateful that she was able to extend the time uh, as the conversation had developed. So, uh, but before I bring this episode to you, uh, just a couple of things going on. It is uh, currently July the 23rd. It'll be the 24th when this comes out. And uh, I am revamping my website. It's almost done. I don't know exactly when the switchover will happen, but it will be slightly under construction for a little while. Um, Incidentally, of all the things that I have not been able to get to work the Podbean link for the website or for the podcast is the one thing that doesn't seem to be uh, gelling well with WordPress. And I've uh, downloaded instructions of how to get it to work with WordPress, and that doesn't seem to be working quite yet. So still working on that. So in the meantime, what I've done is I've replaced that with all the links of where you can find the podcast, uh, the YouTube channel on Podbean itself, iTunes, um, and it's also on Spotify and Google Play. So uh, those links are there. So feel free to check it out there. And um, also we'll be transitioning the email over to this host. So my email may be down for a little bit. In the meantime, the best place to get a hold of me would probably be the Facebook page for the Haskincast podcast, which is in the show notes. Uh, I think you can also reach out to me on Podbean. Um, I'm not sure how that works because I've not spent a lot of time with it, but I think you can do like uh, n- uh, like uh, messages for the shows or like uh, reviews or notes for the shows. Um, on iTunes, it's really more of a global thing. You're really leaving comments for the show on the whole. Uh, as as opposed to an individual episode, unless you note that episode in your note. 
uh, Google Play, I'm not sure about. Uh, and of course, uh, YouTube is uh, comments per episode. The YouTube one is always later because it has to integrate the uh, the graphic. So it's actually a video file, even though there's no video per se. It's just a, a still shot of the logo and the title of the show. So uh, feel free to reach out to me with any questions, comments, suggestions. If you're interested in being a guest or know someone who you think would be a good guest on the show, that sort of thing, feel free to reach out. Also, uh, for the love of God, please uh, rate the show, put in a star rating, put in a comment, um, a review. It doesn't have to be uh, anything lengthy. Just you know, put whether you like it, you don't like it. Uh, if you have any concerns about the show, p- please feel free to reach out to me through those outlets and uh, let me know. And uh, so there's going to be this episode and then uh, next week I have another guest and then I think I'll do this uh, second part uh, the week after that and then that will go into the break. And during that break, I'll be working on finishing up this year's Haunted Holidays album, the third and final in the series. I say final but you know, when you're an artist, it uh, anything can come to you at any time. I have a, a slight idea for a fourth album that I could do in the series. It wouldn't be Christmas. It would be kind of a, a conglomeration of other holidays. But uh, whether I ever get inspired to write that, we'll see. It's it's so easy with Christmas songs because you know them so well. And uh, I, I found some really interesting twists that I thought would be enjoyable to do with these songs, which was kind of the premise of me doing it in the first place. And uh, For the other holidays, I have some ideas, but really nothing concrete. So this may or may not be the final one. It'll probably be the final Christmas one uh, at the very least. So uh, that will be out sometime in October. Of course, I'll keep you uh, apprised of that. And then uh, let's see what else is going on Saturday. I've got a really cool concert I'm going to. If uh, you get a chance to see this, it should be amazing. It is Yes and John from Blue Easter Cult and Asia and the Carl Palmer, Emerson Lake and Palmer experience. And I believe uh, listed at some venues, Arthur Brown will be making an appearance. And of course, Carl Palmer was one of the drummers on the crazy world of Arthur Brown. Uh, I'm not sure even which songs. It's uh, it's an interesting story as I heard him tell it. Uh, they had a bunch of different session drummers come in to record various songs and no one knows whose take was used for what song. It seems like you would kind of have an idea of what you played or what you would have played or what would be your style when you heard it. You'd think you'd be able to identify yourself. But sometimes those sessions came and went so fast and and it was, you know, maybe one take and you really don't remember what you played. So kind of interesting that um, that you wouldn't know what songs you've been credited on. And then, of course, no one was keeping good track of of who was playing on what take. So there's really no concrete documentation on it. At least that's the last that I heard on it. But either way, it would be great to uh, to see him come out. I imagine they'll probably do fire. Uh, it would be really neat if they did something other than that, like uh, the great spontaneous apple creation or something. Uh, but just to get to see Arthur Brown, I think would be fun. I, I much like Edgar Winter, um, he's one of those artists that I just kind of grew up knowing who they were, and they had some special place in my heart, but never would have been anyone I would have thought I would see live. And uh, Edgar Winter was phenomenal. I'm sure that Arthur Brown will be absolutely fantastic too. So that should be fun. And uh, I think that's about it. Um, We'll see what happens with the website. That should be up soon. But all the product links and everything are ready to go. Most of the pages are ready to go. It's just some extra stuff I'm deciding on. And then obviously fixing that uh, that Podbean issue. But apart from that, uh, you know, things are are trucking, moving forward. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy my uh, my chat with my dear and incredibly talented friend, Carla Curlin. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the show one of my dearest friends, Carla Kierlin. Kierlin, I see, and I just said it wrong after I said I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> That's how it goes. Carla, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm excited to talk to you. See, you just planted that seed in your head and it just rolled right out. <laughs> That's right. I was so convinced that I wasn't going to screw it up that I focused on screwing it up and then I screwed it up. Right. It's so how the mind works, right? It really is. It, it, it is. is. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for uh, taking some time to come on the show and, and uh, you know, to spend a few minutes away from all the beautiful artwork that you create that we're going to talk about. Um, you are, you're always doing something. I am always doing something, which is really contrary to being a human being because, you know, it's human being, but I, I seem to be a human doing. So yes. I'm always doing something. I would agree. And every, you know, I don't get to visit you guys often there in Sedona, which is such a, just a, even just graphically the, the visuals out your windows. I mean, in any direction, it's such an inspirational place to be. Um, it truly is. Do you ever find it difficult to be inspired to work? I don't mean having the energy to work. I mean, just being inspired to create something. Oh, sure. Really? I know it sounds impossible, especially living in Sedona, because you're right. I mean, every every place I look out my windows, it's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And and I'm blessed to see some of the most amazing rock formations, which, of course, I adore, you know, blended in with, you know, amazing cloud formations and greenery. And it's it's really a, a striking place if, if you've not been here before. But anyway, even then, you know, um, just as with any creative person, we go through phases and you look outside some days and it's like, yeah, it's gorgeous. I know I should be having a pencil or a brush in my hand right now or taking at least a picture as a minimum. Mm-hmm. But some days it's just not there. And I've learned, unfortunately or fortunately over time, that um, that's just kind of part of the cycle. You know, sometimes as creative, we just don't have it right there in that moment. And, and it, I have an acquaintance that also lives here in Sedona, and she said to me one day, well, sometimes the hardest part is just getting started. Mm-hmm. And I had to really chew on that one for a long time because I knew that she was right as soon as she said it, but I didn't want to admit that she was right as soon as she said it. But it's true. Sometimes that is the hardest part. But yet there are those times when to really be at our best um, in a creative mode, you have to have time off. And so I think sometimes that's just how it works. You just don't have that inspiration because for whatever reason, you're burnt out probably and just need to have some time to recharge. I could understand that. But I think that your friend really brings up a good point. And I have to wonder if part of that isn't, there's so many things I want to do, I'm not sure which one to commit to. And then once you start one, now you've committed and that's it. But also the the other side of it, which is as soon as I put that first brushstroke down, I'm already locking myself into a box in some way. Right. Absolutely. You know, and maybe that wasn't the right way to approach it, but we can so easily overthink that first step that we never take it. (laughs) You know me all too well, too. That's not fair. (laughs) Hey, that's a story of my life. No, you are absolutely right, though. Um, We do have a tendency to overthink things way too too much and for way too long and really when what we really need to do is just take that first step and then the next step is kind of shown to us. And if, if we're going in the wrong direction, hopefully it becomes obvious to us um, relatively quickly and then we can change direction before wasting too much time. Right. I, I've been saying recently how I need to 
become more of a laser beam in my approach and what I want to do as opposed to like the shotgun approach to life. Um, and what I mean by that is just having my attention and my energy and my, my supposed focus being in so many different things at so many different times. Uh, you know, I can't be effective in anything because I'm just too dispersed. Mm. And yet as a creative person, and I don't know if this is true for everyone. I kind of think maybe it is, but if I don't have that diversity and, and different things that I can pop in and out of, I have a tendency to get stuck in a rut or I get bored, you know, doing the same thing. I just can't imagine doing the same thing all the time and just that being my thing. And yet it's funny, years ago before I ever moved to Sedona, I was here with some friends and we were at one of the local places and this woman came out and it was one of my friend's birthdays. And so she, this woman said, Hey, you know, it's Sedona. So she said, Hey, you know, I, I want to give your friend a free reading for her birthday. And so she came out and kind of just did some general, you know, information for her. And I was actually real surprised at how accurate she was. And so we all kind of struck up a conversation with her. She liked us all. And so she did a little tidbit for each one of us. And when she got to me, she just sort of chuckled and she said, Oh, honey, if you could just focus on one thing, you would be so successful. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's and that. And she definitely pegged you on that. I, I will say, but, but I, I could easily say that of myself. And I think it's kind of a double edged right. sword because it's great to be able to say, okay, this one isn't really going where I want it to. I'm going to jump on something else and then I'll revisit this when the mood strikes to, mm -hmm. if you just keep jumping around, you really can never finish anything or really uh, work on it to the depth that you want, because somewhere in the back of your mind is one of your other projects. Yes. And, and I find that once I start getting back into a creative mode that happens for me more and more because then it seems like once that faucet is open it doesn't just drift like everything comes in and then I do have a tendency to want to do everything all at once and again back to the lack of focus on perhaps any one thing although I have I have phases I guess of time where that's not necessarily the case like when I first got to Sedona and I first started working on one of my big canvases and I was just so excited to finally have the space to be able to do it and be kind of back mentally in that space as well and just have that opportunity and and that's pretty much what my life was for about six to nine months that's what I did mm -hmm. and it was awesome you know so there are those those times as well where I didn't care about working on anything else I was just you know on a burn to get this canvas done I mean almost to a point where I didn't take care of myself or anything else too you know there there, there is that side of the equation where I can be so engaged in a project that everything else falls away and, and that's not a healthy balance either. No, yeah that's that's very true and I, I tend to do the same thing in fact when I am working on a, a project especially one if I'm doing for someone else and it has a deadline to it and it right. takes a lot of my time I'll finish the project and I'll look around my apartment. I'll go, oh my God, how did I get so sloppy? I don't live like this. <laughs> you know, I know, just, right? Anything that's not a necessity just falls to the wayside. But our health yeah. is so vital to us, not just being able to create, but but to be able to create with the uh, the effort that we want to put into it. And uh, we have to really find a way to work ourselves into the equation, really more so than anything else. Right. It's true. Yeah. You're so right about that.
and you know, I guess over time we'll we'll get better with it. But you know, I hope so. I don't seem to be doing any better than I was at it ten years ago. <laughs> I know, me too. I mean, I feel like we've had this conversation probably at some point in our acquaintance, and so it's like, wow, here we are, ten years, fifteen years down the road, going, hmm, how well right. are we doing on that? Okay, so we need to revisit that a little more. <laughs> yeah, and and I think that my body has kind of struck back a little bit over the last couple of years and said, um, I'm going to make you deal with me, and you're just right. going to have to do it instead of saying, oh, that little ache is fine. I'll you know I'll deal with it later and never doing it. You know, and you're so right about that as well because I am equally bad about that as you are, and my body has been reminding me over and over about the idea can't do this anymore, or you can do that, but you've got to do it in such different quantities than what I used to do them in. Mm -hmm. And that's difficult for me too. You know, I I actually, in the last few years, have had to really relearn how to do certain things. And so that's kind of challenging and frustrating, but, you know, I find a way and and then you just keep moving on. But yeah, sometimes it's, it's difficult. And like you, you know, sometimes you're, I'll be working on a deadline and, you know, it's kind of, in a way, it's, a sick, twisted way in which we live, but I, I happen to really thrive in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to do it twenty four seven, you know, and then three sixty five. That that's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. But on any given project, I actually like having a deadline because that keeps me focused and motivated, and I like that challenge to myself. And uh, years ago, I used to live in that space. So much that I got burned out, but you know now I'm learning to kind of pick and choose. Sometimes I don't get to choose, but I find that I do. I I, I perform better, so to speak, when I have that kind of pressure or deadline upon me. Because otherwise, you know, it's too easy to just keep blowing stuff off. I mean, I've got a ton of projects that I've started, and and I'm sure you're the same way, you know. And you just push them aside because there's no one except yourself standing behind you saying, hey, hey, get that done. You should get that done because, you know, like we were just saying, it could be 10 years down the road and, oh, wow, you haven't finished that project yet. What is wrong with you? Right. You know, I think, too, though, that there's a little bit uh, maybe a psychological side to it as well, where uh, if I'm working for somebody else and they've got, you know, a release date, they've set up a marketing initiative, they've got things going and and you know that that project is going to get out there to people. And when you're doing something for yourself, and you know you you know if you if you plan to put it out even if you're you know gearing up for your own project you think well you know this you know no one's waiting for this it's it, it'll right. happen when it ha- and there's no sense of urgency whereas you have yep. a finite amount of time and you don't have time to overthink uh someone else's yes. project because it just has to be done by midnight on that day exactly and you know it really pushes you into that zone of creativity where if you do things that you never realized that you could do or it forces you into a a different creation than what you originally thought or you know sometimes those those particular situations force us to be more creative than we would have otherwise been yeah i agree and and it it's too easy to edit yourself or second guess along the way and make decisions <laughs> that the art is not telling you to make Right. You know, have you ever gone kind of too far with that where you've made changes and then you look back and go, I really should have just left it in the original state that I had intended? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not that the end result was, you know, terrible or whatever. But yes, I've definitely pushed things too far. And especially, you know, I, I, I shouldn't say especially, but 
you know, in the art world, um, people are always looking for something that's a little different and kind of on the edge. And overall, I, I can do those things, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess what most people would call more of a traditionalist, but there are things that I do that, um, could definitely be more on that, um, cutting edge of abstractness mm-hmm. if I just wouldn't push them to the end. But there's like this part of me that says, I've got to see it all the way through. I just want to know what it'll look like. Right. And then, like you said, once it's on there, you can't take it off. But a perfect example when you started talking about that was two two pieces popped right into my head. One was the one that I just referenced, the first painting that I started working on when I when I first got to Sedona. And I the underneath painting, so to speak, was just this really awesome blue and cyan color. And I really did consider just leaving the whole thing in the blue and cyan. And then I thought, yeah, but you know, it's Sedona. And once the red's on there, it's just really going to pop. And I couldn't resist Mm. the temptation. And then once it was on there, I, I was committed, like you said. But I actually had someone that you know very well, who saw the picture in mid process and said to me, Wow, you should you should have just left it like that because it was so cool, <laughs> just like it was. I mean, not that not that that they didn't like it, you know. Once it was done, and it's still a really stellar piece, but you know, there was just something super cool about that abstract blue, just with that. You know, you can let your mind kind of extrapolate. And then the other piece is a piece that I did for my brother, and my sister in law. It's of one of their dogs, and he's just this adorable little little puppy, you know, at the time that I did the drawing. And I got about midway through the drawing, maybe a little further, and I thought about stopping because I really loved where it was at. But again, I just had to keep pushing it, just had to keep pushing mm-hmm. it, get it all the way through to like the sharp contrast because I really like the contrast of light against dark and everything. And, and it just wasn't there in my mind yet, you know, and so I just kept working it, working it. And then again, had to finish it all the way through. Um, and and it, 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 it's an adorable picture, but overall, artistic-wise, I really like the midway through shot more than I like the completed shot. Mm. Yeah, and that's a hard thing. I mean, if you're if you're songwriting, if you're an author, yeah. it's easy to rework things. I mean, yeah, it can be time-consuming, but you can always rework them. Once you've put paint to canvas and it's dried, there's only so much you can do after that fact, yeah. right? I mean, you're kind of stuck yeah. to an extent with what you've got. You are, you know, unless you want to cover over the whole thing with a whole new batch of gesso and start just fresh. But, you know, I mean, paint, you've got texture, got all kinds of considerations. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, there really is that point of no return sometimes. Did you ever go back and paint the other picture? <laughs> no. Hmm. I think no. I would have been tempted to do it. Um, I might do it in future work, you mm-hmm. know, but once you get one piece done, at least this is for me, um, like I would not go back and do the same picture again. Mm-hmm. I might do a variation of it or a, a cropped in version of it, but it's, yeah, it's one of those things where I don't like redoing the same thing over and over, even if it's different. Yeah. Now the exception to that is sometimes with my, you know, computer generated work or or something that's smaller that's easier for me to redo, but you know, a big piece like that or a drawing that takes so long, you know, I'd I'd rather 
I'd rather do a new drawing of the dog in the style that it, you know, you know what I mean? Mm. Or do a new painting of the same, of the same, uh, theme perhaps, but, but not identical in everything that would be in it. I can understand that. But in Sedona, you know, you, you got, you have all these, you know, famous rocks. And so you can get them from different angles. And, and that is one thing about being here. I mean, I can look out, for example, my, my bedroom window and I, I see a different view of Cathedral Rock than what is like the known view of Cathedral Rock to most people. Right. And so I, I could have endless potentials of just painting that, for example, in different ways or, or coffee pot rock or Snoopy rock, for example. That's another one where, you know, you can do Snoopy in a lot of different ways. It doesn't seem like it, but you can, you know, you can do it different times of the day with different lighting and, you know, different colors. Sure. And of course, when you live in Sedona, you do see all manner of different variations. And so then there's that. <laughs> yeah. And, and you guys get, you know, people think Arizona, they think dry, hot desert, but Sedona, actually, you guys get a good amount of snow uh, and a yeah. good amount of cloud cover. And so when the, when the, you know, the sun is peeking through the clouds or, you know, there's just a little bit of different uh, atmosphere from, from the clouds and the lighting, I mean, every moment could be something that looks a little bit different or gives you a little bit of a different perspective on the scene that you see Absolutely. every day. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't get that so much here in, in Vegas. I mean, we get the cloud cover uh, from time right. to time, but we get more wind than anything else. So it's mostly days of clear blue sky, which I would have never thought would get annoying until I moved to Arizona. And I'm like, <laughs> would you just give me one damn cloud? Just something. Right. Just a little you know? puffy one somewhere. Right. Well, <laughs> Now, when you talk about your uh, your canvas, though, and, and you say a large canvas, but we're not talking about anything. I mean, we're talking about a very large scale canvas. So, what is the size of those pictures that you use? Because I don't I don't know the dimensions. Oh well, the one that I was just talking about it's a forty by sixty, forty inches by sixty inches. So that's you know it's pretty big. That's sizable. That's that's weeks of work. Yeah, it it was months of work. Mm. Yeah, even, yeah, <laughs> and. And then the other one that I've done that's large, um, at that, you know, like large is a 36 by 48. Mm. So although not quite as large, it's still big. And, um, you know, they just, they're so fun to do, but I am such a detail oriented person that it takes me a long time. I'm not a slap it on the canvas really fast, uh, abstract kind of painter. Right. And not that there's anything wrong with people that do that. I've seen some amazing abstract work, especially of Sedona and the rocks, because, mm. you know, texturally it just kind of lends to that kind of work anyway. But, you know, just everybody's got their style and I, I really love focusing on details and things. And so they do take me a long time. In fact, I had them on display at a, a place down in the village, Boat Creek for a while. And we were having a, like what they call, you know, a art walk on a Saturday. So people were in and out and other, other people were displaying their artwork. And there was a guy there. He was kind of staring at it and he did wood sculptures and stuff. He was looking at it and he was under the impression that it was, um, a chicle or a canvas wrap, you know, like oh, they're so yeah. popular right now. And then somebody had made a comment about it being an oil painting. And he looked at me and he said, you mean you painted that? With a paintbrush? <laughs> <laughs> no, I used the cat. Uh, I said, yeah, actually, I did. So, you know, it was just one of those moments that was classic because people just don't realize sometimes um, 
yeah, the level of work. And he thought it was a photograph that I had just then, you know, done a cam strap on. So I said, no, no, it's actually okay. So there, there are those moments that are kind of fun. But that's, that's a pretty big compliment, really, for him to think that it was so detailed and so clean that that must have been a photograph printed onto a canvas. Well, you know, there are times when I think it, it is a blessing because I just love being able to reproduce it at that level. You know, that that's my thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm that way with a lot of my, my work. But then sometimes I wonder, well, is that really the best? Because, number one, it's supposed to be art, artsy party, you know. And it seems like most people, if they were... If they were going to go for that, you know, maybe they'd just rather have the photograph and save themselves some money or something. I don't know. But I've never had anybody look at them and go, yeah, you should, you know, just find a different line of work. So so that's good. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but in, you know, it's interesting that you say what it's supposed to be, because what really defines that? I mean, as artists, <laughs> do we define that? Do we come up with the idea and then the the direction it takes defines that? Well, you know the old saying, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of irrelevant um, as far as, I don't know, you just have to do what you do and you put it out there. You know this being a musician and a creator. You do what you do because that's the gift that was given to you because right. you got to be who you are because everybody else is taken. And if you spend your whole life trying to be somebody else, then you waste your whole life. You know, So then you just do what you do and hope that other people love it or like it or want it, right. you know? Yeah, very true. And I think if you're if you're staying true to yourself and being honest with your own work, um, not trying to make it commercial or not trying to be something that just doesn't suit you, I think it tends to be recept- uh, more received than if you're geared up to be something like a commercial success. I think people feel the energy of it. I hope so, because I, I do what I love and and sometimes, you know, it has a little more abstract feel to it or so realistic, I guess, is, is one of the descriptors that I've heard about my work. Because although it's based in realism, it does have a bit of a surrealistic quality to it at mm-hmm. times. Yeah. And so that's kind of fun. Um, but, yeah, I you just have to stay true to what you do. And I don't know, it, it changes over time as well, you know, and that's one of the fun things as well. And you probably experience this as a musician and a creator that there's a there's a certain style that we might maintain throughout our entire lives but we go through phases just like anybody else with you know sometimes I work on cards sometimes I work on paintings Mm -hmm. sometimes I work on music sometimes you know I work on three-dimensional art or um yeah you know any sometimes I work on people's bathrooms you know and paint their walls I mean literally I I love painting and sometimes it's as generic as that where I'll go in and just paint and do that because I just love that kind of um, not as involved uh, to get it done faster, but I'm still painting and creating something cool and doing something that's beneficial for someone else, you know, sure. because that's, that's always a part of the equation that I want to put into everything that I do. I, I kind of at this point in my life where it's like, I don't want to create just for the sake of creating because and you just end up with a bunch of stuff that maybe you love, but you might not have a place, you know, to display it or sell it. And I kind of want to, again, back to the laser beam approach, be more effective with my time mm. and um, 
really effective with the work that I do so that I can connect with the people who really love what I do and want what it is that I have to offer instead of wasting time, you know, spinning my wheels, like we were talking about earlier. Right. Yeah. You, know, you can get into those cycles where you just spin your wheels out of control. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, you're still on the hamster wheel. And nothing's really happened. Yeah. You know? Are you, uh, now you, you do work in oils. Why did you choose oils over, say, acrylic? Um, <laughs> You should ask. No, actually, I like the flexibility of oil because I do like to take my time. And one of the things about my work, whether I'm drawing or painting, I I, I won't say I'm obsessed with nuancing, but I really love smooth transitions. It's just my thing. I love working from light to dark and, and just having a smooth transition. And so oil paints allow for me to be able to work and rework areas sometimes, whereas acrylics really dry in a hurry. So you have to be fast with them. That's true. Now, I do have some smaller pieces that I do. They're really different. They're, they're textured pieces on linter paper. And, and I do those with acrylic paint because they're smaller, number one. So I can, I can work more quickly. Right. And I can blend things uh, when they're smaller like that. And um, I, I almost have it to a point where I can't really say it's so watered down when I use the paint that it's like a watercolor, but kind of. And then I can just build up if I need more color on it. I can go back and rework it if necessary. Mm. So I, I enjoy that. And I do I do really love watercolor. I just can't say that it's my strongest medium, but it's something that I love working in and I'm I'm working actually on a new style of of that for me, so that's kind of fun. Oh, that should be interesting. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid and I used to paint and I was I was never any good at it. Um I started with oil and then I realized that it didn't dry fast enough for me and I would <laughs> inadvertently screw up everything that I did while trying to do other things. Uh, so yeah. I had switched to acrylic for that very reason, because it does dry faster. But I would sit there on Saturday morning or, or whatever day, and I would, you know, have my canvas and my palette and my fan brush and everything. And I'm watching Bob Ross, and he's painting this beautiful, <laughs> you know, lake in the woods with a cabin. And uh, and I'm like, here's a cloud with two birds in it and really out of place looking lightning bolts. And uh, <laughs> But he would he would always do this thing where I'm like, oh, my God, this is such a beautiful painting. And then he would say every time the magic phrase, something like, let's just put a little water wheel in here. No, Bob, don't, you know, and I'm sitting there just don't, don't do it. begging him. <laughs> of course, he can hear me. And and he would put it in. And as soon as he started, I would be like, you ruined this painting. This is ugly now. And then he would just turn it into even more magic. Isn't that amazing? I know. It is. But for you, when you're working on something, when is the point where you decide it's finished? That, that you don't want to put another leaf on a tree or, or another shrub somewhere? Like, when do you go, it's complete? <laughs> you know, there's no magic formula for that. You just know. Mm -hmm. Or you have to just draw a line somewhere. Like, you know, sometimes when, for example, on the really big paintings, I, I could tweak on them forever, mm -hmm. really. You know, I could go in and just keep working the depth and add more detail or, well, not really, but, you know, I, I could work them further, but you just get to a point where you look at a piece and you go, yep, that's it. It's done. I, I, that's, yeah. 
yeah, it doesn't matter whether it's a painting or a drawing or whatever the thing is um, that I'm working on. I I find that to be the case. Yeah. Now, when you when you get into more of the drawing side of of your artwork, you really tend to stick towards uh, animals as your main thing, isn't it? Cats and dogs. Yeah, I love little fuzzy faces. I'm a <laughs> I'm a sucker for animals. What can I say? You know, I, I nature in general. You know, that's why I love doing paintings of landscapes and florals and just all kinds of things like that. But um, yeah, animals just have such a soft spot in my heart. And when we still lived in Phoenix, um, we had gone through a year of great loss as far as our pets, and um, it was kind of just one of those things where they were kind of all the same age and we had cats and birds and an iguana and just like yeah we just took a huge hit and I kind of stepped back from that and went wow I I just don't even know how to recover from that and uh we ended up at that point with just with, with just two cats and and then one of those cats passed and I was like oh man this is this is not good and so we ended up moving as well and as fate would have it, we were renting the house at the time, and one day there was a cat that just sort of showed up in our back shed, and she had little babies. And this was during the time when the the housing market was just taking a tank. You know, the whole economy was crashing. Mm-hmm. You know, and so people were bailing out of the neighborhoods right and left, and the homeless animal, you know, basically crisis in Phoenix was just just like the homeless people crisis. It was out of control. And so here was this poor little mama. She was just as skinny as a rail. And I don't know how long it had been, you know, since she'd been cared for. And so anyway, you know, my husband says to me, okay, she could stay in the shed, but you know, you can't feed the cats, right? I'm like, yeah, I know. Once they get old enough, we're going to, you know, capture them and put them into the adoption process and all of that. Well, it didn't really play out that way. And, uh, and by the time we realized it and got kind of hooked up with the people that work in that field, I mean, and that really know how to hook you up with the right people to do adoption and, you know, or at least as a minimum, get them someplace where if they're too old to adopt, it would be a no-kill, you know, shelter or whatever the thing. And so that was really the beginning of our journey into the pet rescue world and just just how involved that is and how many people care about it and just how big the need is for that. And so uh, anyway, Mama Kitty ended up having another round of kittens. And uh, wow, yeah, we thought that we had them all adopted out and that changed and they we didn't. And so we had to capture all of them and take them in and have them spayed and neutered. And, you know, we went through all of that and worked with some just amazing people that donated their time and their talents. I mean, everything from what would be considered like animal social workers to doctors and nurses who donated their time with mobile um, mass units for animals, for people who were in these situations where they would just find animals and, you know, you need to get them spayed and neutered so they're not out there creating more new little baby animals. Right. Yeah. And in my heart, I just, I fell in love with, you know, all of the people doing the work and all the little, the plight of all the little animals as if I needed to fall in love with animals more but I did. And then I just, at that point in my life, um, you know, life changes and the work that I was doing at that time for a photographer just sort of came to an end. And I just sort of rolled into wanting to work more and more with um, getting back into the art field. And I did that by doing sketches of cats. And I just 
realized how much I love doing it and capturing just what beautiful lives have been saved, you know? I mean, to be able to look into the faces of some of these babies and just know that the only reason they exist is because good people out there cared enough to, you know, do something about it. And my, my desire has always been to somehow take my love and talent, um, in, in creating the artwork and, and somehow pairing that with people that work in this field at whatever levels I don't even know yet and making it a win-win, you know, for all of us, because I've always believed, as you know, that when, when we all do what we're really good at and work together as a unit or a team, then the, the potential for success seems to be so much greater. And, uh, that's why I, besides just the regular passion of animals, that's the other side of the equation for me in doing the animal drawings is that it just brings such joy to the people. And in some way I, I want it to eventually benefit the bigger picture. Well, and I think it's uh, it's easier to find uh, people in unity when it comes to the love of animals, especially dogs and cats, because it is it can be such a personal experience, just like having a child uh, that they, you know, the, the attachment is almost the same. And, right. uh, you know, to find uh, artists to work with can often be difficult. But I think to find unity to, you know, to, to have a, a group of people that work together towards a common goal in that field would be much easier. Yes. And that's kind of always been my thought process as well, because people are crazy about their animals. And I love, I love that they are, you know, people say, Oh, you know, we should be focused on humans. Blah, blah. It's like, you know what? There are tons of people out there that are focused on the humans and I focus on the humans as well in different ways. You know, I, mm-hmm. I do what I can to help humanity in, in, in other ways, as you know. And so, um, you know, I choose to use my artistic talents, um, visual art talent um, in, in this particular way. I can draw humans. I've drawn humans. I, I, and it's not that I'm opposed to doing that. You know, I certainly don't want anybody to feel like, oh, I'd love to have you draw my new grandbaby or my, you know, fill in the blank cousin or, you know, whatever the situation is. It's always situational with me. When I make that connection with the human or, or whatever the thing is, that that is the ticket. You know, the people that I have drawn in my life with couple of exceptions. I did them because of the special love or bond that I had with that person or the person that connected me to that person. Right. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying? So oh, yeah. there's that. And, and with the animals, you know, they just have this, this whole love unto themselves. And I just adore being able to capture just the right expression on their face where you look at it and you just know, Yep, that's so, you know, fill in the blank, poofy or whatever the pet's name is, you know? Yeah, but you have to, I mean, as an artist, you have to divide your time out. And if you're going to divide it out, you want to go with the things that are going to inspire you the most. And, right. you know, it's, it's humans may not be your, your source of inspiration. If it's animals, you know, especially cats and dogs, um, then that's yep. what you spend your time doing. I mean, I could write polka music, but it doesn't inspire me to want to write music. You know, it's nothing against polka. It's just not my forte. Uh, I'd exactly, rather be writing, exactly. you know, something different. So, yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And uh, I, I'm glad that you spend your time pursuing the things that make you smile. 
Well, you know, I've always had this thing too. I was just sitting here thinking about that. Is I've always had a thing for eyes, and when I used to sit in class at college, you know, I, I, if my mind would wander and I'd find myself doodling, oftentimes I was doodling eyeballs. And that's one thing that I love about being able to do the the pet drawings is that most of the, not even most, all of the drawings that I've done so far, at least, they're just they're captivating because the animals are looking at the camera, whether it's a picture that I've taken or a picture that the person has given me of their animal. You know, it's that super engaging moment where the animal <clears throat> just looks as if they are looking right into your very soul and you're just so in love with them. You know, I just I love being able to capture that. And that's, that's a special honor for me too. You know, um, one of the things that I really have a, a I guess a new tender desire for is to work with people who have recently lost their pets because yeah. like you were saying, so oftentimes they are just a part of the family. I know my pets have always been a part of the family and I know other people who feel the same way. And especially if they don't have children of their own, it's like their pets become their children. Right. And when those pets are gone, I mean, they grieve just as if, you know, and it's really difficult. And people often ask me, you know, what, what is it that we could do for so-and-so that would be like a keepsake, basically? Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of places, you know, you can get the paw prints done or you can have a special picture taken. And those are all really sweet ideas and I love all of them, but there's something special when I'm able to do a drawing for someone and they open it up and they see their little beloved pet that, that has then become like a family keepsake. And they just, there is no exchange for that. You know what I'm saying? Like the emotion of that moment is the payback. Sure. Yeah. It's just so incredibly awesome. And that's, I mean, you're really just reaching out and touching someone's heart when you do something like right. that because they are so passionate about their animals. And I think that's a beautiful right. thing to be able to do. Uh, interestingly, the eyes are, are one thing that I was never good at drawing. Uh, I really? could draw like one <laughs> eye really well and the other eye looked like it was diseased. <laughs> I could just never get them, you know, to look symmetrical or, or whatever. Like one would be just too small and out of, out of balance for the other one. And that's, uh, yeah. So I started just drawing people in profile, well, <laughs> just getting around fun, it. Too, but, you know, the whole different weird eyeball thing to just be your style you know what i mean and you yeah. be famous before me or more successful than me because <laughs> people would look at that and go now that's creative <laughs> well yeah like surat had his thing of painting everything in dots and and uh, that could right. be my thing is like he could be the the cocky eyed guy exactly i mean come on look at pablo picasso i i mean and i love pablo picasso but the dude was out there you know what i'm saying yeah. or salvador dolly come on he's one of my oh. favorites too but Everything was melting. And I mean, I love artwork like that. That's just not how my brain works. But I marvel at people that can do things like that because that's just a whole, to me, that's like a whole other level of creation. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, for, for me, I'm still stuck on a Hieronymus Bosch's painting of hell, just trying to understand <laughs> what he was on when he came up with that. And <laughs> oh my God, that's right. Sometimes you have to step back and wonder, but hey. You exactly. Know. But your art now has extended into some sort of uh, interactive work for for people. So tell us a little bit about the cards that you do. 
Oh, yeah. You know, ever since I was young, I have loved making cards, green cards. And some of it stems from the fact that they're small and so I can get them done more quickly, even though they're full of detail at times. You know, it's like I can spend three days on it instead of three weeks or three months or three years. And so I love that aspect. But also some of it stems from I never knew what to get people that was going to be special or unique. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, maybe a, a handmade card would be cool. And then quite frankly, there were times and are times in my life where, you know, it's the whole, ooh, starving artist scenario. And you just don't straight up have five bucks to go to the local fill in the blank drugstore and buy a card for somebody for their birthday or anniversary or whatever. Right. And so you get really creative. And, and a lot of times I would just make cards because of that. But all through it, I just, I've, I've always loved doing it and I still love doing it. And I have, I have actually quite a few different varieties of cards. And my most recent iteration of the card um, extravaganza, shall we say, was the, or has been the coloring card craze because, you know, the coloring thing has just been so popular in the last few years. And although I really love all the mandalas and the whole concept of, doing it because it's zen Mm -hmm. i also had a lot of people that would tell me it it kind of it made them nuts because they got super stressed out trying to make it be perfect or get it balanced or whatever i mean those would be people like me that you know are kind of anal about their art but Mm -hmm. at the same time you know i i started talking with my neighbor and she said you know well what do you have in mind? And I said, well, I'd really love to do a line of cards, you know, that people could color and then send to people because it's such a lost art. Mm-hmm. Um, not only people doing the hands-on work themselves, you know, and it's, it's smaller, so it doesn't take as big an investment of time as they have full page. And it's actually got an end use instead of just sitting in a book. Right. You know, yeah. you can actually put it in an envelope and send it to someone. And then I discovered that I... I actually really loved how they turned out when I did all my samples and they looked so cool just floating on a solid colored mat with a simple frame. They make these beautiful little pieces of artwork that you can do groupings of or if you've just got, you know, sometimes you'll have just a thin, small, small wall that you just need a, a, a single piece for or two little pieces you can stack. They're a great size, you know, because they're, they're like, I think the size of cards I do are four by five and a half. So they're, they're not huge, but just like everything else I do, they're not just cards, they're art. Right. Yeah. And they're, and they're personal. They are personal. I've got every, yeah, everything that, that I have is, is done for a reason. Um, I don't just randomly do things. Yeah. i I, I have that love for the things that I create and uh yeah it's it's a whole different avenue of art that there's this side of me that that doesn't want that to become a lost art because you know we're so tied in with computers and technology these days that people create amazing things on computers and sometimes I wonder how much it's the human versus the computer that's doing the creation Right. And I do some of that work myself. I'm not saying I don't use my computer in my work, but I, as a rule, am not a, you know, a CGI kind of creator. Yeah. But there are those who are, are, and they're amazing, 
but I don't ever want us to become a society that that loses the hands-on, person-to-person, real touch. And cards are one of those things that, I mean, when's the last time you got a card in the mail? You know, it's interesting that you say that because I actually have two friends that regularly send me postcards. That's so awesome. Actual postcards. And I is one of them Kelly. No. Oh, okay. No, but that does sound like something that she would do. Of course, now that she's she's back in France now. So uh, exactly. It's a little harder. But yeah, just to like one of them uh, travels quite a bit. So whenever she's out of town and she can, you know, she's in a grocery store or something, she'll grab a postcard and, and handwrite a message to me on the, on the back. And then my other friend, she kind of moves around from place to place and uh, she'll send me postcards again, handwritten. And you're right though. In general, it is a very lost art. And I feel very blessed to yeah. have a couple people in my life that, you know, use that medium. But I was even thinking about what you were saying about cats earlier and how many people are just so busy looking at cat pictures instead of playing with a cat. Right. You know, giving it actual attention, exactly. and getting lost in all these you know, hilarious cat memes. And yeah, they make you smile, but wouldn't it make you smile more to have a cat or play with a cat? Right. Rub its fur, same with your dog, same with your bird, fill in the blank, you know, pet that you have because that's what that's what the beauty of them is, you know, that interaction and that just kind of unconditional love that they have for us. And, you know, sometimes I see people with their animals and it just, melts my heart because of the connection that they have or sometimes even with my own uh animals you know the things that they do and the experiences that we get to have with them are so special and you know it's it's the same with humans you know but yeah humans they're a whole new level of dysfunction so (laughs) well i think i think you you really hit the nail on the head when you said unconditional love and this is something i've always felt um, you're safe with an animal. You don't have to worry about an animal going out of its way to hurt you for no reason or being judgmental or uh, treating you like garbage because you aren't perfect. Whereas an animal right. doesn't really have an agenda. You know, it appreciates you because you're the giver of the food and yep. cuddles and whatever. But for the most part, they're just going to do whatever they do as animals. And, you know, there's that that kind of love is what people really seek in humans. And since they can't have it, no matter how great anybody is as, as one to love, right? Um, we all do that. And so with animals, you know that you don't have anything to worry about and you can just enjoy right. each other, uh, you know. And then there's the times where you go to pet the cat and the cat's like, I'm not into you today. And, right. You know. There is that. I mean, I, I have what I call a grand kitten who is kind of that way at times my my son and uh, future daughter-in-law kind of joke about that as well. They, they say that she's kind of bipolar in that way. Um, and, and there are times, you know, but overall she's just a sweet, you know, amazing cat. And her little brother is a sweet, amazing cat. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about that is that the, the tactile aspects of our animals, our pets, you know, whether it's, it's a fuzzy cat or a fuzzy dog or a, a guinea pig or a, a, a gerbil or a, a bird, you know, or, or even iguana. I, I, we had an iguana who was amazing. And most people were like, oh, you know, it's an overgrown lizard or a baby dinosaur. And it's like, well, yeah, but you know what? Every animal has its own little personality. Oh, yeah. 
And she was certainly no different. And we used to have chickens when we lived in Phoenix, and each one of them had their own personality. You know, and again, the tactile thing, you know, the, the the touching of the soft little feathers versus the other feathers or like on baby puppies, you know, where you get the little fuzz on their belly or, you know, even cats and, and dogs change from the time they're puppies until they're adults. You know, sometimes they start off and their little tails and ears are all fuzzy and soft. And then as they get older, it gets a bit more wiry, you know, <laughs> depending on the dog. It's almost like the progression of the curiosity versus the experienced. Yeah. You know, you're young and curious and trying to understand what the world's all about. And then when you've got that experience, you just kind of, you look at it a different way. You present yourself a different way. You have more confidence, mm-hmm. stamina, you know, uh, very interesting. Now, I will say that I have to comment on the agenda thing of the animal because I, I have to say that our cat, Handsome Rob, I'm pretty sure his agenda is cheese. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Every time, well, see, it's, it's a new, it's a new discovery for him, and uh, thank goodness. Um, but yeah, every time I'm in the kitchen now, he's pretty sure that it's time for cheese. So his agenda is, "Mom's in the kitchen, it's time for cheese," oh. and he's learning to speak in like multi-syllabic sentences, you know, in his request for said cheese. So, you know, don't ever underestimate the power of your animal. <laughs> See, and if Pavlov would have understood that, he wouldn't have to ring that bell all the time. Right, exactly. Curses the Pavlov. It sounds like kind of the same type of conditioning. Right. Oh, it totally is. I mean, now he understands the opening of the fridge when he hears the drawer and the particular bag that the cheese is in. Oh, yeah, he's all over it. Yeah, I'm I'm very much the same way when I hear two drumsticks clang together. Hey, right? (laughs) It's like, oh, there must be something I can bait on somewhere. Exactly. Yes. Um, Now, are you you getting as much time as you used to to do photography? Because you're also really into photography. Funny you should ask that because... No, actually. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I had to be blunt. (laughs) Well, this time of year, it's not inspiring to really go outside when it's 118 degrees outside. You really just don't want to be out there filming anything. Yeah, it, that's definitely true. <clears throat> Pardon me. And yeah, you know how life is. You just, um, you go through phases. And I still love taking photographs. It's one of my favorite mediums. But yeah, life happens and you just get caught up and, you know, pulled in different different ways sometimes. And so just like with anything else, there are seasons. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. This is not the season for me for photography, but. Um, I know that there will be a time when, you know, it'll come back around and I'll be super inspired to pick up my camera and go back out and get a whole new bunch of pictures that I'm not sure what I'm going to do with, but they'll be in my folder, you know sure. what I mean? Yeah. And that, that's some of it too, though, Scotty, is that um, I I have thousands, literally thousands and thousands of pictures that I still have not, you know, done stuff with. And so whether it's going to become a card a future painting or drawing or just a photograph, you know, that I'll stick on my website because it's awesome and somebody might want to buy it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But all of that stuff takes time, as you know. Yeah. Go through and find the ones that are really the one, you know, the one. Because you can you can shoot 100 pictures and maybe only end up with 1% that are really worth your time. Yeah, Absolutely. 
And that's, that's the other thing, you know, that people don't realize is that, you know, whether it's photography or artwork or whatever, there's so much, not only prep work, but behind the scenes work that happens before you ever lay a brush to a canvas or oh, sure. for me, at least a pencil to paper or, or anything like that. So, yeah. yeah. But I know, I know what you mean about the photographs. And of course, in this, um, we can take, you know, a thousand pictures in a second world that we live in with our cell phones. Um, I, you know, I take a lot of pictures of the sky because when we do have clouds, I find them incredibly fascinating. Yeah. And, uh, but I'll, I'll click a bunch of pictures and then I'm like analyzing every one of them and I'm zooming in like What's that, <laughs> you know, this doesn't really look right. And it, it is a lot of work, even just on the minimal scale of what I do. I can't even imagine the amount of effort that you have to put in for what you do. Yeah, it is a lot of work and I can literally spend days sitting in front of my computer editing pictures and it is something that I love doing but yeah you know days will go by and it's like oh wow I was supposed to eat like three weeks ago and they take a shower <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? the, the cat's not getting any cheese and she's a cat you know no they, they keep me on oh that's good uh but for you know for aromas we have little resetters right like you can have coffee beans you can or uh, you know sniff coffee beans to reset your, right. your uh, nasal palate you can have like a, yeah. a palate cleanser for your tongue but for our eyes, we really don't have anything that resets us like that. It, it's You really just right. have to be careful of that sort of fatigue. And, you know, if you're going too long, then you could start missing some of the details that you might need to see. Um, it really goes back to that taking care of ourselves thing. It's true. And also you fall into the trap of if you've been working on it for too long, you have a tendency to, because of the tired factor, not only overlook the little things that you might not overlook, but you get into that zone of, well, oh, it's good enough. Mm -hmm. And I don't ever want to say, oh, it's good enough. Right. You know? You want everything to have that quality. My dad always used to say, yeah, you know, he said, my dad always used to say, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And it's worth doing well. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite memes that I have on my desktop, on my computer is, and, and I'm not saying I live up to this in any means, but it's kind of one of those inspiring things where it's like, be so good, they can't ignore you. I like that. Yeah, I've heard that before. And I think that is a very powerful thing. But it also, it depends on the person, because I think for a lot of people, um, that could pretty much make them feel a lot of pressure. Just like yeah. the, the same people that, you know, maybe they're they're uh, coloring one of your cards and they're so stressed about it being perfect. <laughs> You know, I could see I'm that. Sorry, but I don't mean to laugh. It happens. It does. But I mean, I could also see that as being very therapeutic, though, just sitting there coloring, not a care in the world, just enjoying the process of, of changing white into color and, and making something right. take shape from a visual in your head. I always found it therapeutic when I was younger. Right. Me too. I yeah. loved it. And I still do. Mm -hmm. You know, there's times when I'd love to just pull out one of my designs and I'll just sit down with pencils or maybe the gel pen and just work on a card because it, you know, it is relaxing. And I don't, you know, I, I laughed so hard when you said that because I've, I've actually had people, you know, comment about that where it's like, they'll see something that I've done, a card that I've done. They're like, well, you're like, I just don't even know how to compete with that. It's like, you're not, it's not a competition. Right. <laughs> you know, it's about what you get out of it. And, you know, whether you spend five minutes on it or five hours or five days on it, it's like, do you enjoy it? What's the process for you? You know, is, is it enjoyable? Because that's the bottom line. I want people to have fun with the cards, especially. I want people to feel stressed out. That's not fun. Right. But I think the the biggest problem or one of the biggest problems that we have as artists is that we tend to think that we're competing with our, our other fellow artists. 
And until we get to the point where we're realizing that the only thing that we're competing with is ourselves to make sure that we're pushing ourselves to do the best things that we can with our, our skill sets and growing those skill sets. You know, I, I can't compete with other people because our backgrounds are different. Our visuals are different. Our experiences have brought us to where we are as individuals. You know, whether you get a job or you don't get a job over over a friend of yours isn't competing. It's, you know, you brought in your skill set, they brought in their skill set, and they person picked whoever, you know, resonated with them more. You can't compete right. with that because you don't know what the person's going to resonate with. But if you go back to that honesty in your art, then I think people will feel that. And if that particular thing that you've created resonates with them in a positive way, then there you go. And if it doesn't, then it wouldn't have anyway, no matter what you did. Right. That's a very good point and a really good reminder. It's a tough one, though. I, I, you know, when you're going for jobs, especially when you're, you know, you're putting in for something a bit or whatever, and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, at least one or two other people that are putting in for that same bid and you know, they're good. Oh, um, man. It, that competition, that natural. And I don't know if women feel that as much as men do. I don't know if that's a testosterone thing. But that <laughs> that know. really does come into play for a lot of people. And it's taken me a lot of years to really realize that all that matters is that I put out my best stuff. If somebody resonates with it, awesome. If not, then that right. particular piece just wasn't for them. Well, you know, and it's great that you're able to look at it and work on it and be better about that. And I know that that's one of the biggest hangups that I have sure. and why I'm not further along is because I am too attached in that way because. You know, people often say to me, why don't you go out and, you know, look at other people's works? Do you, oh, you must go to the galleries in Sedona and look at everybody else's work. And I was like, no, I really don't. Because for me, it's almost, I mean, it's inspirational. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's inspirational in a rabbit hole kind of way in that then I want to bounce off and not do, like you were saying, what I'm meant to do, but then try to become more like what that person's doing because I really admire that person's work or style or fill in the blank instead of focusing on my own stuff, you know? Not that I can't take that and maybe implement certain things because let's face it, hardly anybody's, you know, 100% creative on their own anymore. We all are influenced by other people's works and and Mm -hmm. styles and whatnot. But, um, you know, the other side of that for me too is that it, and I'm sure that you've experienced this, um, I don't know too many artists or musicians or, you know, creatives who haven't, uh, even business people probably on some level, it, you know, it's like the creation is like, is like a, a part of you, the part of your very soul, your very being, at least for me it is. And so it, for me to take that and then, and then walk like cold call basically into a gallery or a shop and, and be in that place of, Am I worthy to be here? Oh, man, that makes me feel like I'm going to throw up. Mm-hmm. I just hate it. <laughs> you know, so yeah, um, I can relate to what you're saying as far as, uh, you know, it, whether it's a competition thing or whether it's just, no, it, it is a competition thing because, man, there's just some madly talented people here sure. everywhere. You yeah. know, I'm just constantly amazed at people's talent. But the thing is, is like we were talking about earlier, it really... You do have to just put out what you do because you don't know what anybody else might like. Like there are certain things that I've created that wouldn't be the first thing that I would put out into the public view, but you know, that friends of mine have seen over time or whatever that they really like that particular piece. And I'm like, gosh, really? That one? 
That would <laughs> yeah. That would not have been the piece that I would have selected for not only you but pretty much anybody. That's kind of like in my back of the corner stuff or whatever, you know. But you just never know, like you were saying, what's going to resonate with someone. Well, beauty's in the eye, like you said. Yeah. But I have to applaud you. And, and I remember talking to uh, my friend Amanda Tucker about this on last week's show. It really takes a certain strength for an artist to be willing to show their work to others. And even though people do it all the time, but especially with something that's taken you weeks or months to work on, and you yeah. take it into a shop and you say, hey, I wonder if you'd be interested in having this on your wall. You know that, you know, that that is where there is a little bit of competition because there's only so much yeah. wall space in that store. There's so many artists in a certain area. There is a certain element of that, I, I would have to admit. But right. to be willing to even put that painting in your car and drive out of your driveway really takes a certain amount of strength as an artist to do that. And I really applaud anybody who's willing to show off what they've done, because I feel like some of the best stuff in the world will never be seen because people are too afraid to be judged. Yep, I agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. So good. Good for you. Well, I hope that you guys enjoyed listening into our conversation as much as I enjoyed being a part of it. Carla is an absolutely just wonderful, wonderful ray of sunshine in this world. And I'm, I'm ever so grateful to have her as a friend. And uh, we'll be back uh, in another couple of weeks with part two of the interview where we really go down the rabbit hole of humanity. Uh, should be interesting. So uh, be interested to see what you guys think about that. And uh, we'll be back next week with another guest. In the meantime, please remember to go ahead and rate the episodes or the show on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Spotify, all those good places. And we'll see you guys next week.